Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hey, I'm so sorry. I was caught at work. Uh, no worries. I- I'm just happy that you could make it. You know, I don't think the waiter was going to bring me any more bread. Yeah, so your profile said that you, you also work in behavioral science. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been doing a lot of work with this young woman recently, um, you know, keeping her nice and comfy, really rein in her ambitions sometimes. You know, she can be such a go-getter. Oh, tell me about it. I do a lot of work with this guy, Kyle. Started a podcast. No. Oh, yeah. No, no he's a menace to himself, always putting himself in these vulnerable situations. Ugh, I hate that. Like, they, they don't know what we're doing for them. Yeah, thankless job, I'll tell you that. Huh, cheers to that. Hello, you two. Uh, Mr. Anxiety, can I offer you and your lovely date a beverage? Well, you know, I, I think I think that that would be great, Miss... Uh... Oh, my... <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I, I don't think I caught your last name. Uh, Prussian. Deb Prussian. Oh, it's a beautiful name. Wine? Deb, I, I got a funny feeling we're going to get along. Drum roll, please. What's this? Build it, build it up, build it up, build it up. Stop. Bring in the champagne. R- really? It's season four, baby. Are you done? No, absolutely not, man. Are you kidding me? This is a, this is big. This is big for us. You know the number, the numbers have been up. We've had some incredible opportunities come our way this past month. Like, I, dude, I'm stoked. Yeah, another season with you. Yay! Yeah, come on. You can you can pretend to be a little a little excited. Oh man, like I'm excited to keep connecting with people because you know the people we chat with have been amazing, and I'm excited to keep that going. It's just it, it's just me. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just is, you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, well. To be fair, you you've been really throwing some shit my way lately. So, dude, I don't know what to say. I, I'm in my bag. I'm the I'm the Kyrie Irving of mental illness. I, <laughs> it's what I do. Yeah. Um. Okay. How about we not do that? No, that's that's cool. No, we don't. We'll, we'll we'll keep we'll keep doing it my way. Okay, great. Well, you're gonna flap those gums. You're gonna make you introduce the podcast, Mister. Oh, I'm so excited. All right, true. Uh, welcome to Life's Wreck, guys. The podcast where I, your host Kyle Moore, whose hair could 
you know, you'd probably be spun into golden wool in some kind of like Greek mythology story. Just hair like a like a dollar store wig. Uh, and that, you know, the personified voice of my mental illness. Pleasure, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. You brought a you brought a clap track? Yeah, you do it, so why can't I? Yeah. We'll talk about this after. Uh, guys, big shout out to my buddy Colin Merrill for the inspiration behind this week's podcast intro. Colin wants to shout out two books that he says have really helped him over the past few months. Uh, the first being Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, and the second being The Fifth Vital by Mike Milik. Make sure to give him a follow on Instagram at Merrill Colin. Uh, if anything, just a thanks for the book recommendations. Uh, and if you want to get a shout out on the podcast, have an idea brought to life for an intro, all you have to do is answer the Instagram question box I put on at Life's Rec Podcast or at Morsey on Instagram the week of the podcast. And uh, yeah, it, it's really just that easy. And, you know, just like while you're there on Instagram, uh, you know, you can you can check out the uh, the new designs that we just dropped, the Better Tomorrow Life's Rec merch uh, that's actually dropping today. Um, guys, it, it, it's it's fucking brilliant. Okay, and, and obviously, am I biased? 100%. But a portion of the profits support mental health charities in Canada. So, you know, it, it, it's a win-win for everyone. Hey, by the way, I, I don't want to interrupt your flow here. Yeah, don't don't pretend. Don't do that. Don't pretend like you care about my flow. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, yeah, I really don't. Um, yeah, I, I'm actually thinking I might start looking for other jobs. What? Do you, what? Yeah, you know, go the, uh, go the, the journalism route. Oh my f***, you're man-crushing on Mullinger, aren't you? No, come on, I just mean like, he's just like a, like a, seems like a better boss than you. Yeah, right, right, I mean, I can't blame you for wanting to work with him, like I, I mean, you can see why he's become so loved across the country. You know, it's just nice to spend time around someone likable, you know? <laughs> Trust me, I know. <laughs> uh, what a way to kick off season four, though. Comedian, journalist, and all-around just great guy, James Mullinger. You know, way back in the day, way back, back in January of 2020, those are the good old days, uh, award-winning British comedian James Mullinger went on a national tour titled Embrace Where You Live. Yeah, and then lockdown happened, and then we had to do that. And since then, now he's become one of the most sought-after virtual comedians in North America. James was one of the UK's top comedians and the comedy editor for GQ magazine when he moved to New Brunswick in 2014. Since his arrival, honestly, he's kind of taken the country by storm. Uh, he sold out shows across the country, made appearances on CBC's The Debaters, been in movies, television shows, festivals, award shows, stand-up specials. Like, you know, the, the guy's really done it and all. And then even after doing all that through some some cosmic gift, allowed himself to be interviewed by my counterpart. It's a, it's a sad day. That's... All right, w- without dragging this on any longer, uh, James... Welcome to the podcast, man. How are you doing? Cool. No, it's a it's a good question. I, I think I'm good. Um, I uh, I have had a busy morning, as I as I tend mm-hmm. to uh, most most days. Um, the the days start early. I have a a, a seven year old and a ten year old, so uh, the days start extremely early, and then there's lots of mm-hmm. uh, shouting and running around and panicking and and people screaming at each other and then suddenly at uh, quarter to eight uh, it's silence and then suddenly the stress of all the things I need to do uh, in the day um, everything comes crashing in that's it it all starts kind of piling in Um, but overall considering the world we're living in right now and the the uncertainty and the fear and everything else Mm. I am doing uh, pretty well 
I'm happy to do that. How has everything been, uh, you know, the transition with having the kids in the house and, and, you know, school being on sometimes, off sometimes? How's that all been? Uh, Yeah, so a good question. I mean, last year when when lockdown happened and, of course, when when schools closed, I mean, that was definitely the worst time you know and again mm. i know a lot of um, i mean some parents i've spoken to uh, a handful uh, a very tiny percentage have kind of talked about how much they kind of embraced and enjoyed the the homeschooling aspect and obviously like most parents we did try to you know make the most of this special right. time but <laughs> but the reality w- was was not that and and um regardless of kind of you know tensions within the home it was more just the fact that you know children need to be around their friends they need that stimulation they need Mm -hmm. also we were um we ran our business from home so we were in the throes Mm -hmm. of a panic of you know is our business going to survive or i mean and certainly in certain that's the magazine side of the business the comedy business was was had completely kind of overnight disappeared so Mm -hmm. we're kind of having to have these very um panicked frantic um you know can we save this what's going to happen uh how how do we kind of you know salvage something from this mess meetings mm. with children in the house who need stimulation uh we're being told by the government that we need to be teaching them um right so uh, that that was a that was a, a tricky period and then of course i mean it's the, the children's mental health is is a is a, a paramount concern Huge. because yeah. you know when else in their lives would they be, you know, trapped in the house being told they, they can't do this, they can't see their friends? Um, th- there were so many different things to, co- to, to contend with. So right mm. now, um, again, you know, we hear this a lot, but we are very blessed to live in a part of the world where things, right. um, you know, are, we're not in total lockdown. Of course, you know, there's mm-hmm. th- we are there are many restrictions right now but one of the saving the kids are at school yes they're wearing masks all day but they don't complain about that they're just happy to mm-hmm. be there with their friends and most importantly they get to play hockey my uh, one son has a hockey match nice. uh, tonight uh, hockey practice tomorrow morning um wow. so so i mean uh, i can't imagine there's many places in the world where uh, children's sports activities are still taking place um, it is it is such an interesting thing i know and and i actually really enjoy hearing about kids experiences through all of this because you know it's so easy for us to say that this is this you know this this crazy thing because it's broken our norm down to pieces but i find that kids are adapting to it especially around here pretty pretty well because you know granted they don't have to do this full lockdown it's this half lockdown and they just have to wear a mask and that's something that's being introduced to them at a young age it is very interesting to see how they adapt true very true and you know they they're really not you know they didn't complain then much you know uh, they're not coming. It's 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 teen it's teenagers and late teenagers that I feel most sorry for because, uh, mm. and even your 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 age demographic as well. Like like you know because this is you know without wanting to be be, be too downbeat. This is like the best time. That's what you're living <laughs> in right now is the best time. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it's all downhill from, and and <laughs> all of my all of the things that keep me going right now in life. Or, you know throughout my 30s 40s and then i'm sure mm. my 50s which is which is around the corner uh is remembering those great times i had uh <laughs> in my uh, right. um, and of course you know they, they weren't all great but but in theory those are the kind of the most fun times and it is mm-hmm. uh mortifying that that the, for for that generation that um uh they are being um forced to stay inside again it's you know as i say it's one thing for um you know seven year olds ten year olds but mm-hmm. um this the, the age when you sh- should be out socializing and should be out having fun um it's a, yeah it's, that's a real shame 
It is definitely a uh, interesting transition to make. I know that, uh, granted, I have a mental health podcast. Spending time with myself, not my particular favorite thing to do. <laughs> um, and so my social life was was this kind of, um, this pillar of my mental health, this support system that I had. And so to have that kind of be stripped away, it has been an interesting um, transition. I guess the light at the end of the tunnel for me is I'm really kind of, I'm really hoping for this roaring 20s vibe. Um, that once all this is done, to, that everyone will want to see the world and experience new things, and it'll just be just a blast. That's a very good point. Yes, and I, I hadn't thought of that because I mean I talk a lot about the fact that at the start of the of the of the last um, year we were all talking about mm. the Roaring Twenties is going to be great, right. and of course it turned out to be a, a terrible year. But then yeah. the reason the Roaring Twenties were the Roaring Twenties uh, a century ago was after huge strife. So yes, maybe mm. what's going to come back? I mean. One of the things that was happening in England, for example, and, and certain teenagers and 20-somethings were organizing was illegal raves came back during the, mm. the, the lockdowns, which, of course, I'm not condoning that. But interestingly, right. a lot of kind of very highfalutin, um, uh, highfalutin broadsheet newspapers in England were kind of like kind of giving it a bit of like, yeah, you know, go, go yeah. youth. <laughs> like, you know, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it will be interesting. I think, yes, coming out the other end, it could kind of bring about um, everyone embracing fun more um, yeah. and, and an emphasis on fun, um, mm-hmm. which can only be a good thing. Well, and I think it's going to be one of those things that I would love to see people start living like Maritimers a little bit more. Yes. You know, this, this uh, you know, sense of community and being there for one another and really coming together. I know I was having I was having a very interesting conversation with my parents the other night because they are huge proponents for when this is all done, pack a backpack, go to Europe for two months, see the world. Right. Um, and uh, and I'm lucky to have that, that kind of support in my life. But also, you know, having them talk about how much they miss the curling rink and how much they miss, right. you know, the, the poker nights and going for these casino r- or the poker runs and that kind of stuff. It's so I hope that, you know, people really start to embrace how much, you know, I, I feel like there's a ton of tension in the world. And it would be so nice to see people really bring back a sense of community as the 20s progress. I, I couldn't agree more. And it means it's definitely going to, we're already seeing a kind of embracing of this kind of community driven and somewhat rural living that we uh, that we live in and, and that we, mm-hmm. we've already embraced uh, in the, I mean, certainly, I mean, it's funny speaking to friends in London who are working from home have been for now for eight months. They're being told they're mm-hmm. going to be working for another six months uh, at the very least. So you've got these, these people working jobs which traditionally were jobs where it was absolutely required to be in the office and right. of course the reason that these friends of mine in their 40s and 50s live in the most expensive city in the world in a, a, a shoebox the size of most people's garages in New Brunswick right. uh, the reason they do lived in those places is because A their jobs were there and B because mm-hmm. London's a great place to live if you like doing stuff every night right. when you yeah. remove Everything. When you remove every single activity excursion yeah. at the a museum, art gallery, theatre, when you remove everything, every pub, mm-hmm. restaurant, bar, um, to live in London or, or indeed any big city, New York, Toronto, utterly mm-hmm. ludicrous. Um, yeah, so, miserable. Absolutely miserable. So mm-hmm. most of them now, having just been given the news that they're going to be at home for another six months, are oh. moving out to the countryside. Um, yeah. So it is going to be interesting, as, as you say, seeing people... Uh, wanting to embrace that kind of lifestyle but also like you say get out and explore I mean I I was going to ask you you, you mentioned then obviously about um, 
uh, people's mental health during that period mm-hmm. was was of, of paramount concern to uh, the likes of us, but yet it was very yeah. being talked about very little by governments in in any country. Yeah. There was there was there was all the 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 doom on one thing, but very little thought. Um, how quickly did the industry transition into kind of uh, virtual? Uh, therapy and and how was it for you like when March happened and you learned that mm. you weren't going to be able to necessarily go and visit a, a therapist on a weekly basis how quickly did yeah. that uh, happen it's a great question um, you know I was really fortunate that uh, the doctor that I was working with before I left Toronto he continued to see me uh, through monthly phone calls wow. um, and we had built this he was a young doctor I think he was just approaching his 30s or was early in his 30s so you know fresh out of residency was working at the university um and we developed definitely and i I don't know if it was the maritimer in me or not but we developed a bit of a kinship and and you know we were able to keep in touch and now we uh we you know touch base about sports we touch base about everything because i think that this pandemic really showed that it's it's so easy just to discount somebody as just a doctor and not look at them as as another person who's going through the exact same thing you are. Um, and so we had a great opportunity to really get to know each other pretty well because of the fact that these monthly calls were an opportunity for two guys in their 20s to shoot the shit about what was going on nice. in their life. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, one thing that's interesting about the uh, mental health industry is some people are very hesitant about being in person. Um, and so the network was already very well established to handle people doing online therapies interesting um, yeah amazing. because i mean some people some people want to do therapy but aren't comfortable sitting one-on-one with somebody outside of a zone that they're comfortable in right um and so you know people were already doing a lot of at-home therapies um and i think that it, it definitely there was this uptake in need but it, it is you know like you said we're going through this pandemic, but there's also a mental health pandemic going on right now. Absolutely, um, and it's being and it's being, I think, overwhelmingly discounted because it's just kind of that. Come on, guys, hunker down, and we'll be fine in six months. Yeah. That's not a big deal. We're all in but, it together, oh, so God. so your, your mental health it, it doesn't matter because we're in it together. And, and exactly, I mean, exactly. And it's funny that that phrase "we're all in it together" is for, and I know people mostly mean well, but it is. What possibly one of the most insulting things, especially because it's never posted by anyone other than someone with, you know, uh, who's at home working, uh, 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 they've still got their job or got full time mm-hmm. benefits or full salary. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, and, and of course, it, it's lovely if it's very important for people to be there for people. But, but you can't just tweet we're in it together and and walk away and go, my work here is done. Exactly. And I think that that and it's so paramount at the at the provincial level, because you do see all these people in positions of leadership. And I understand and I completely get again talking about that's another person. Um, You know, they have a lot on their plate. They're trying to handle a a global pandemic. That's a lot. But I mean, to to just kind of try to brush these things under the rug and just kind of say like, hey, here's the distraction over here. Don't you know, don't look at the wizard behind the curtain. Yes. Um, Yeah, it's terrible. And, you know, I really do hope that um, 
we start to see that how how important this all is because you know from from kids to adults to you know everybody is going through the same thing but not everybody's situation is the exact same yeah. um you know i understand that i speak from a place of incredible privilege that both my parents were um government employees right. uh and i when i moved home neither of them lost their jobs you know mm-hmm. we always had food on the table and a roof over our heads but that's not the case for some people right that's it and that's it. and to just discount that by saying hey you're going through the same thing i'm going through it's like no that's not true and and people do need extra support right now and it needs to be it needs to be more personable for Absolutely. sure no i completely agree yeah speaking of that uh you know that kind of maritime um attitude towards things you know what what drove the move for you to move out of the uk and and to come here to the to st john yeah it, it's a it's a it's a good question and it's obviously it's, it's something that um that i got asked a lot when we when we when we moved here um Often in a very strange way, like often people wouldn't ask it in the polite, thoughtful way you did. And again, not because they meant it, they, but 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 the way we would always get asked is, is why the hell would you move here? And, right, right. and we would always be like, well, you know, it's it's such a strange way uh, to ask that. And I know what 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 people what they meant by it, but I always mm-hmm. at the same time would say, well, why wouldn't you? I mean, look around. This the, the, you know, this yeah. place is so much to offer. Um, my, my wife grew up here. She had been away for, for many, many years. She grew up on the Kingston Peninsula, uh, just outside St. John. Um, at uh, 17, 18, she moved to Toronto, worked there for six years, then moved to London, and then she was in London for, for 15, 16 years. So um, mm. uh, we had met in London, actually in the year 2000, uh, started dating. I'd visited New Brunswick that year. At that time, in my early twenties, um, fell in love with this place as a as, mm. a as a haven, as the place that I would want to come and retire or write a right. book yeah. or all of these things. It, it wasn't kind of top of mind as me to me as a place that I would necessarily come and live. Partly because, to be honest, I mean, when we would come and visit, we were mostly on the peninsula, so it, it wasn't mm. like I was experiencing uh, the Saint John. Uh, nightlife or indeed any, right, any of those right. kind of things it was very much a, a, a family trip um mm. but then it was many years later 13 years later and i i can i remember the moment that that, that it kind of finally dawned on us that this was the move and it was it was uh summertime of 2013 we were we were living in the same house we've been in for a few years in uh in tooting in south london um and we had one child, uh, uh, he was two, and we had a, th- a second on the way. And we were sat there basically just kind of looking at our lives, something that we always did, and trying to work out what mm-hmm. our next step was going to be. Um, we'd both worked for the same companies for many years. I'd been doing stand-up at that point for over 10 years. Um, I'd been working for the same magazine for about 13 years. She'd been working for the same magazine for about the same time. Just a small magazine called GQ, right? Exactly, exactly. And um, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and I'd kind of and I'd basically gone there straight out of university. Like I'd gone there for one week's work experience, uh, wow. and uh, one one week's work experience turned into two weeks, and into and I treated it the same way anyone should treat any internship, which is I kind of went in and made it so that I just wanted to make myself invaluable. I wasn't willing to take my mm-hmm. kind of foot out the door. I wanted to. Um, and just kind of grafted and, and 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 ended up yeah staying there for all those years um what we realized this point that that summer but before we moved was that basically our lives were not going to change we weren't going to suddenly have 
you know, a house with a normal sized garden. We had a, you know, we had a standard London garden. It was the mm-hmm. size of basically this area I'm sitting in here. Um, uh, our jobs weren't going to change. We were always going to be working stupid hours. I was going to be performing stand up every night of the week, uh, traveling mm-hmm. over the country. We weren't going to see each other. Our quality of life wasn't going to improve, basically. And over the years, we toyed with various different moves. We toyed with moving to Toronto. We toyed with moving to New York. Mm-hmm. But at this particular time, I suddenly said, well, what about St. John? And um, mm. I think she thought I was mad at first. And then we started thinking about it. And I mean, part, I mean, I guess part of the reason was, and I've joked about this in the past, you know, moving here because her parents are, are from here, which means free childcare on tap. But, um, <laughs> and, and that was always uh, said in jest. But, but to be honest, I mean, the reality was, was that my GQ salary paid for childcare. That's how expensive childcare was in London. My entire salary wow. went on childcare. So, uh, I'm doing this kind of fairly high stress, high pressure job for 10 hours a day and then traipsing around the country, sleeping on train platforms, doing stand up because mm. stand up was. <laughs> so basically I'm working for GQ for free just to pay a stranger to be with the little person that I wanted wow. to be with and then <clears throat> traveling around just so that there's some food to put on the table. And so it was this ridiculous cycle of, of, yeah. of, of exhaustion. And then with the second on the way, we realized, well, and so the the thought process was, come here. Um, uh, Pam knew that she could continue working for the magazine that she'd been working for uh, in England. I didn't know, and I'd certainly been told by people that I wouldn't be able to carry on working as a stand-up comedian here. So the thought mm-hmm. was we would come here, and then I would maybe go back to England uh, every few weeks, mm-hmm. do do some shows, and come back because the, the wow. cost of living here would be so low, and with the and with the with the with the childcare, that would be so. Basically, London is so expensive to live in that it is cheaper to move to New Brunswick oh and commute. <laughs> that is wild commute. to think about that you would just hop on a plane like the same way that somebody would hop on a bus exactly, exactly. that's crazy to me and and to be honest some people's commutes into work into london in the morning from the british english countryside is about the same time i mean some people take a, a three-hour train which ends up taking yeah. five hours anyway um so that was that that was i was also fully prepared to give up stand up uh just to be able to give my children this kind of upbringing i didn't want them growing right. up in a well it sounds like a lot of stress on you to, to have to you know make that decision well yeah and it, and, it, and it definitely was and it was it was definitely it was a decision that we made easily i think but mm. then the knock-on effect of that i definitely went off the rails a bit in my last few months being being in london feeling like this was the end like there was mm. definitely this kind of this feeling of like I, I don't know if it was necessarily a, a, a feeling of, of failure, but it was definitely, uh, but I guess in an element, it, 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 in a way it was that feeling of failure. It was, it was like, mm-hmm. we couldn't, um, we couldn't, we couldn't cope and we, and we yeah. couldn't, we couldn't make, make that work. And there is, there is something slightly selfish about, I, I guess it's that point. There's something slightly sl- selfish about creative jobs uh, when you uh, decide to become a parent, especially. But yes, right, there are. Right. I mean, but 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 uh, yeah. I mean, creative jobs are because you're basically doing a job uh, that you want to be uh, pursuing, which is which is uh, noble and absolutely acceptable. But what I didn't mm-hmm. want to be was one of those people who because they want to be a comedian or because they want to be a writer, their family has to suffer because right. they're going to um, keep chasing this impossible dream that I, mm-hmm. I didn't want to be. And again, um, you know, 
each to their own. But I do, I have, you know, obviously in, in my life, I've obviously met people for whom uh, put their families through hell because mm. they refuse to get a job that 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 um, would. Um, put some food on the table because they right. want because no i want to travel for 12 hours to do a gig to 12 people uh for chicken wings and i will eat those chicken wings <laughs> and i will party all night and then i will go back with nothing uh you mm. know I've, I've met those people um and i, I, yeah. I and again it, it, it's to their own but i didn't want my family mm. to suffer for my art so to speak right so right. um so coming here was very much like i give the family the quality of life if i can carry on doing stand-up even 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 if it just became a hobby or an occasional thing Mm -hmm. then that's it i certainly never expected uh it to become even more of a job here than it than it was back in the uk well the funny thing is i feel like you filled this very interesting need because you've talked about in your stand-up before the people told you that you know you can't do comedy on the east coast but it's so funny to me because as somebody who was raised here I think that comedy in the East Coast are so should be and and I obviously through the success that you've seen are so linked because Maritimers love to tell stories, they love to laugh, they love to come together, and that's what comedy is. Absolutely. So I'm su- I'm surprised that people planted that seed in your head. Was there like like what were the feelings when people were telling you this? Like was it was it doubt? Was it like I don't know if this is going to maybe be the right decision? Good question. And I guess it was only and of course I guess the important thing is it was only it was it was some people um i guess prior to coming here um and the people i was meeting here were people that weren't necessarily in creative fields you know and mm-hmm. again i mean i guess to them it was the it sounded ludicrous so if i'm meeting you know relatives of my wife's even and i guess for them they're looking out for their for their daughter and their grandchildren or, course, or yeah. and i'm not saying it was definitely my in-laws that were saying this although i've just, just basically named this crazy them. man wants to pursue yeah. comedy but i guess for them yeah they're kind of looking out for them and saying well yeah if you really think you can come in here and carry on mm-hmm. where you've left off in england think again and that's true i mean i did have mm-hmm. to start again at the bottom i uh, yeah it was, right. i didn't come in here with any um any contacts, any favors, any grace. I, I came in with nothing and had to build up my business, which is one of the things that I like about this place. The 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 it the Maritimes as a whole, and Atlantic Canada as a whole, is they they are contrary to what people think, open to new ideas, especially because there isn't a well worn path. You know, mm-hmm. so it was the people, the main people that said that it wouldn't work. To be honest, were my friends in 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 the business in Toronto and Montreal. Um, right. And the previous summer, so July 2013, I was in uh, Montreal at Just for Laughs with friends of mine who worked for the festival and other comedians. And I was telling people my plan was the following year, I'm moving to New Brunswick. To, and people were kind of like, oh, well, you know, and some people tried to be like, some people said you are insane. Like it's, right, like it's right. it, it, they were like, it's hard enough to make a living as a comedian in Toronto. In New Brunswick, you've got mm. absolutely no chance. And of course, what they were ignoring and I've, I've joked about this before, but it, it seems very weird to me that people would say that given, you know, you wouldn't say to a plumber, there's no, you know, there's no plumbers on the East Coast. So don't go there. Right. If there's no plumbers. There's a lot of toilets that need unblocking. So, mm-hmm. you know, I see myself as the toilet <laughs> unblocker of comedy. Like if you go to a place and I love it that. isn't a thing, go mm-hmm. there. And, and, and so it kind of meant that I basically built my business up the same way a plumber or a contractor would, which was I got here did every gig I could, whether it be in a high school, a church, uh, a basement, uh, a vineyard, uh, wherever. And if people Mm -hmm. like it, they'll come again. And if they don't like it, they won't come again. I mean, so it was the most natural, organic approach. 
So, which to me, it, it, I mean, of course, all comedy is subjective. Some people like what I do. Some people hate what I do. But right. it doesn't matter because if the people that if the people that like it like it enough to come again, well, that's the that's the box ticked. It's not like mm-hmm. in bigger cities like Toronto, but to an extent. But mainly, I'm talking about kind of London and LA and places where uh, performers can be forced upon people. Whereby mm. you know a manager represents a big name artist someone wants that big name artist on their chat show well if you want this person you need to give my new comedian a five minute stand-up spot on your show that's right that, that that's the that's that performer is not earning that spot uh that, that mm. performer is not earning that spot in your living room when you tune in I, I what i like about doing this job here is that for the most part and some people would would possibly disagree if they've if they don't like me and they've accidentally chanced across my stuff on facebook and they think i wish this guy would go away Mm -hmm. but for the most part (laughs) what i do is i perform to people who are are there to see me right and that's what i that's what i i like i like you know i've had opportunities for example um uh, i've had offers to do um, radio things here now Mm -hmm. and and the reason i've i've kind of uh shied away from it is that i don't ever want to be doing something where i'm forcing what i do on someone someone's at work someone's on the bus someone's um partly because i think as someone that is um very insecure and riddled with with self-loathing the you know i i i can't take the abuse possibly i don't know what it is but but but, uh, (laughs) but but mainly it's i i like um yeah, I don't want to be forcing what I do on anyone else. So that's why I've, I've always kind of shied away from doing any kind of uh, TV work or radio work where someone is at work and the radio is on and it's like, oh, God, there's that, you know. No, right. I, I'd rather be performing to um, to people that actually go, oh, I like what he does. I, I will um, I will go to a show. They're there by choice mm-hmm. as opposed to being forced to. Yeah, yeah. I love that you said that because I think that the – you know, what I've seen through my experiences of growing up here, I was born in Ontario, moved here at a young age, was was raised here. Um, and speaking of that raised comment, I think that something that, um, you know, that kind of ties in what you just said um, is the idea that I feel like what the East Coast does that a lot of places don't do in the world is it doesn't matter when you move here. It has this weird element of nurturing your growth and, and you know, putting you in front of the right people. Um, and I think that that's interesting that you've kind of seen that with your stand up. I've seen that with my podcast. Mm. Um, you know, people do really appreciate when you go out on that limb and you, and then again, showing the fact that you love the East coast. Yeah. Um, you know, what would you say you kind of, cause obviously you've talked pretty openly about the fact that when you were in London, your mental health wasn't very good. Yeah. Uh, and then coming here, things started to improve. So I'm curious, like what you found here in the Maritimes that, that improved how you felt in general. It's an excellent question. Um, I mean, you mentioned the the people there, and I think that's a very, very important thing. Is the the people here are obviously extremely welcoming and 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 it, and kind of famed for it. And obviously, I mean, Canadians full stop are. I mean, my first few visits uh, to Canada uh, in my life were, were to Toronto, which uh, again I found extremely friendly compared to England but of course the stereotype is is that is that Toronto people aren't friendly well right I mean, I mean com- compared to New Brunswick because they might not be but compared to Londoners they are the friendliest people in the world um and and, and you're right I think East Coasters are very amenable to um to nurture people both people from uh, away and people here one thing that East Coasters mm-hmm. do have to learn 
to do is to is to ask for things, to ask for help, to ask for support. Um, um, one of the things that Very I think true. is drilled into people's heads in bigger cities is, you know, go after things, ask for things. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I've come across people who who have felt despondent or um, alone or unsupported by uh, the powers that be, whether it be a creative field or an entrepreneurial field, invariably mm-hmm. the one thing that I always come across is they haven't actually asked anyone. They've they've sat in they've sat at home getting angry ab- right. about other people's opportunities and other people doing things, but they haven't actually asked and. Mm. It's one of the things that I, I mean, I, I've come across it with uh, with comedians who I have uh, kind of eventually met or, or seen at a show, and then they kind of tell me, "Oh, you know, I used to, I used to hate you because you never asked me to open for you." And I was like, "Well, uh, write, uh, write to me. My, my, I could yeah, not be yeah, more. Yeah. It, 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 I'm surprised. I mean, and and to me, I've never nothing in my life has landed on my lap. Every single thing I've had to mm-hmm. ask for. I mean, even now, I've been, I've been doing. I've been in the magazine business for." for almost two decades comedy business almost the same of the things i do none of them come to me like they're all mm-hmm. like 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 i probably send 200 emails a day uh, uh to, to, to procure work in one way or another right. two of those 200 may turn into something uh right. when someone yeah. says to me how oh how did you get on the debaters well how do you think i got on the debaters i wrote to the producer and the host 50 million times and and and, and pitched a thousand ideas and then eventually mm. i i wore them down and eventually um that that's how you have to do that's how you have to do things it doesn't um i mean and don't and i say this because i am someone that used to sit uh in a bedroom uh, alone getting upset and angry about uh, other people getting opportunities and me not before I kind of realized that was the way but sorry I didn't um I haven't quite answered your question um I think the the place that I, I knew I was coming here because of what you have here in terms of obviously natural beauty and mm-hmm. um and obviously cost of living being being significantly less thus reducing that amount of kind of stress day to day um the outside space um the people uh there's a there was a line in the, in the sopranos that that was uttered by tony and people don't normally quote well i guess tony soprano was in therapy but people don't normally quote tony soprano in a <laughs> positive way now interestingly i'm about to argue the opposite but he, the line that he uttered right was was to the um i believe it was to the wife of, of Vito after he'd killed Vito, uh as to why he couldn't help relocate him and he said there isn't a geographical solution to an emotional problem now that was of course tony soprano as always manipulating um, mental health in order to mm-hmm. get out of paying for something or, or manipulating right. another human being. However, I am of the opinion that that and, and again you can and everyone is different and you can never say that one thing works for works for everyone. Mm-hmm. I found that it found and find that in some ways there is a geographical solution to an emotional problem if a place and the people there are are bringing you down. Um, mm-hmm in whatever capacity that is now that is, and again I, that isn't to say that i never felt I, I i did i felt supported in london and by my family i felt supported by um colleagues and and the people i worked mm. with um 
but the grind of the place, the expense of the place, the the crowds, the being the being you know being packed into a tube train every single morning like this with three or four strangers' bodies, which now even with COVID seems even more like just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like like you go months, if not years, in New Brunswick without making physical contact with another human being in normal, unless you're mm-hmm. choosing to in normal times. And and right. and in London, just the thought that. In a day, I would have a hundred strangers' bodies all over me at various different times. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all of the the, the stress and, and that whole the whole mindset of life that there of you know yeah. of, of of when's the deadline last week when do you need mm-hmm. it yesterday now don't get me wrong i i now coming here and trying to do business here i have a slightly different outlook of like it'd be nice if it happened some bloody time but right, but right. and but and, and so i think i think londoners could learn a lot from maritimers i think maritimers could learn a bit about meeting deadlines and mm-hmm. and and but but all of that said all of those things were were, were stressing me out, uh, mm-hmm. not making certainly not making me happy, certainly making me. Um, I mean, you know, never, never, ever finding time to to exercise or go to the gym. Definitely mm-hmm. drinking too much. Um, uh, all, all of those aspects were not positive. And in life, it's important to know when you're going down a, a slippery path. Um, yeah. and, and did it you, take you a while to find that to, to realize when you were on that slippery path um, I think I knew that I was on it um, and like most of us kind of have these kind of you know, ebbs and flows and, and, and dips and mm-hmm. um, but I guess both my wife and I we're very lucky to have the kind of relationship where I mean we're able to, the fact that we're able to kind of make these decisions together at the same time and and realize that changes need to happen mm-hmm. and also to work together and run a business together is is incredible that we you know and it's interesting I mean and again I don't just admire her as a as a as a mother and a, a wife I admire her as a business person like I can't think of anyone else in the world that I would rather do business with um it's amazing. you know um but did it take me a while to realize? I'm just trying to think. I mean, I, I, I guess it did, but I, but I guess we did realize at the right time. I mean, one of the things that, that Pam said to me that day in the garden when we realized we needed to make the change and we decided on, on the St. John move was she said, um, if we don't do this in 10 years, we're going to be sat in this spot and nothing will have changed. And we'll be saying 10 years ago, we, we should have done this move. And, right. and it's now seven years since, since that. And I mean, of course, we didn't know at that time that a year later England was going to collapse under Brexit. We didn't know mm. that there was going to be a pandemic. I mean, I mean, we really could not have picked a, a better time. But even if Brexit hadn't happened, even if a global pandemic had have, hadn't have happened, this would still have uh, felt like like the right move. Um, but mm-hmm. so for, for me, there was a geographical uh, solution to an emotional problem. And that isn't to say that that the, the coming to a new place, because they say the most stressful thing in life is you know moving house uh ch- changing right, jobs yeah. uh, having a baby now we did all three of those things plus factored in leaving my family behind leaving all our friends yeah. behind you know i'd spent years building up uh, a magazine career that was kind of finally kind of you know i was kind of it was 13 years building it up to be in a position where i was able to interview people like jerry seinfeld i'd finally built up my stand-up career to a point where i was able to tour solo you know i'd mm-hmm. got to the, i'd finally i'd built it up and then to then walk away from it all and come to a new place and start yeah. from scratch um some stresses were taken away but definitely new ones were added and then and then there's the fact that 
in England, you're constantly around people, which can provide stress, but it can also provide respite. So you come here, mm. you build up a career uh, from scratch as a comedian, and then suddenly, when you do have dark days, I can't just nip to the pub to meet my old school friends. That was the other thing. I was very blessed in right. London to be have all of my well, my two oldest school friends, both. Uh, well, one of them had lived with my, uh, sorry, lived with my wife. That would be weird. Worked with my <laughs> wife. <laughs> um, but they, we both, we both, um, we all worked in central London. I mean, the dream that we kind of set out for ourselves at the age of, of, of 11 kind of panned out that, I mean, for the most part, if one of us is having a dark day, you, you could text and you could be in the pub in, in, in five minutes. Yeah, I'm suddenly yeah. here without uh, that kind of support network, but also have built, you know, built myself up as the happy-go-lucky guy. So yeah. I haven't got my support network, but I need to be uh, on more because suddenly, yeah, in a in a in a smaller in a smaller place where everyone knows everyone, um, you know, you can't be walking around sober, uh, looking at how you might be feeling necessarily. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you feel like people? have a tough time in, in a place that is as close-knit as, as St. John in New Brunswick? Do you feel like people have a have trouble differentiating James Mullinger, the person who, you know, we all have our own struggles from James Mullinger, the comedian? Um, I don't know if they do. I think that's more my problem than, than theirs. But also, I don't think they do for, for two reasons. I mean, one, let's face it, most people would have seen me ambling around sobids way more than they probably see me on stage and to, and to, and, right. and and the other wonderful thing in a place like this is i mean every, you know there's no such thing really as 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 being well known or or in in new brunswick because everyone is everyone's known for something mm-hmm. it's like well that's you know i mean invariably like the kind of comments that people say to me after gigs is someone will come up and go oh you know i'm uh your your uncle your your wife's uncle Paul uh, changed my septic tank right and and, right, and un- right. un- uncle Paul is famed as being the septic tank guy and, and someone right. else is famed for this everyone's kind of known for something um so I think people are very so most people are, are extremely yeah uh, amenable to that also I think one of the things that's definitely changed in the last ten years is uh, podcasts and 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 mm-hmm. people talking about the craft of comedy possibly too much uh in the, i mean i personally don't people say to me oh do you listen to bill burr's podcasts or mark mm-hmm. Ron's podcast and mostly the answer is no because the last thing i need is to hear more bloody comedians talking about bloody okay. stand-up comedy and their bloody and their bloody art and and i mean some of the comedians comedians definitely take themselves too seriously don't get me wrong obviously mm-hmm. no one is is more interested in the art of, of comedy than me but i'm spending all day here writing direct books and books and books and of, of of notes and in normal times <clears throat> going out every night trying to work out what's funny what's not um right. i am interested in in the craft of it to an extent but three four hours of of, of comedians talking about their crafts um um, but my point is, is that because of those these podcasts and because of these interviews, I think twenty years ago, if you went to see a stand up comedian perform, most of us thought, "Wow, this is this guy's making the, this uh, comedian or or this female comedian is making this stuff up as they go along." Whereas the reality mm-hmm. is, uh, they are, you know, now everyone knows that it's a very kind of honed and structured thing. Um, right. And my stage persona is 
I mean, obviously, it's an extension of me. And, it, and, and because I'm not, most of what I talk about on stage also is real. Like, inevitably, mm-hmm. I'm taking a real story. You know, I mean, I'm, I mean, I mean, all the time I'm writing something happened to me this morning and I'm I'm writing it into a stand up routine. And now I'm going to mm-hmm. now I'm going to do that thing. I just said I hated of comedians talking about uh, <laughs> there. But, but I'll, I'll write down something that happened and then I'll go on stage. I'll turn up at an open mic night and I'll record myself doing the bit. And then I'll transcribe exactly what I said. And then I'll highlight in red where the laughs were. And then I'll try and tighten up the bits between the laughs. So right. Interesting. All yeah. of those um, little things. But but to, to answer your question, I, I find that. Um, but yes, it, it is an interesting thing where uh, if I'm out and someone is kind enough uh, and lovely enough to want to come up and say hello and that something is uh, <clears throat> They've been to a show and it cheered them up for this reason, that reason. Uh, the reason that's lovely is that that will get me out of whatever miserable mood I'm in. So uh, nice. if anything, my you know my therapy, in addition to this and you as my therapist and these things being extremely cathartic for me, uh, mm-hmm. n- nothing can get me out of a, a funk more than um, someone coming up and saying a, a nice thing, which is why, I mean, I try and do that it's great. My whole life with, with people. One of the things that I, I try and do and have always done, my my mum, I wish I had it right here to show you, but it's over there. My mum, I have a newspaper cutting over there. Of um, It's a picture of my mum in 1979 outside our house in Maidenhead in Berkshire, standing with all the, uh, in England they're called uh, bin men, but I think here they're called okay, uh, yeah. refuse collectors. And basically, I was one years old, and my mum was always cheered up every morning. She had this terrible, horrible child upstairs screaming. And every Mm -hmm. week, the the (laughs) bin men would turn up and flirt with her a bit and be a bit chatty, and they would cheer up my mum. So Mm -hmm. she, and this is something I've always tried to do, is tell people when you are appreciating something they do. When I read a book Mm -hmm. that I've enjoyed, I mean, I'm surrounded with books about St. John here. When I read a book I enjoy... I write to the author and say I enjoyed it when I've been to when someone's been mm. uh, Sonia at Starbucks on the east side that cheers up everyone. Or I will write to Starbucks and say your employee Sonia at Starbucks is is making a... me, me happy uh, and brightening yeah. my day. Juliet Cineplex makes me really happy whenever I go in there. All of these things. So so I get this from my mum because I was one years old. The bin men would cheer her up, and she decided to write to the local newspaper. Uh, to tell them and you know what the newspaper did they sent them around and there's a picture of my mum being lifted up by all the bin men wow uh, by the by the car and i and so that's fantastic and i i live with that that thought that basically she had a one-year-old baby she still found the time Mm -hmm. uh despite all of that to to tell a person so that's really Mm -hmm. what i try and do and i think some people think i'm weird because often i will i will write to someone randomly i will see something they've done or I will see someone's daughter perform a, a, a high school talent show and I'll write to the parent and say, wow, your daughter was really, uh, you know, has a really amazing voice. Mm-hmm. I think people think I'm a bit weird, but I do it because <laughs> uh, those things brighten my day. So I, yeah. I want to do the same thing for other people. Well, I think that's such an incredible exercise in gratefulness because, I mean, just to just to show people that the effort that they're putting in is not going unnoticed. And I, I, I just think that that's fantastic. And it's funny that you say that because I find that that, you know, when I when I've watched a few of the maritime edit uh, stories that you've done, um, you know, something that comes across so genuinely is your admiration for the people that you're talking to. Definitely. And I think that that's so 
beautiful because in a, in a world where everything is, how can I make myself look as good as possible to hit that next rung in, in this grand scheme of things? Um, you've done a really incredible job of really allowing people to shine when they're around you. And that's what some of the, that, you know, after and for anybody listening to this podcast, check out the maritime edit. Oh, it is absolutely you. phenomenal. Um, and and yeah, it's just, it's just so it's so great to see. And I definitely think that that attitude, you know, is something that, that people should be a little bit more thoughtful of for sure. Yeah. And it, and it's, I mean, it's, it's a two pronged thing. I mean, on, on the one hand, as you say, when I'm talking to these people, uh, whoever it is, whether it's, whether it's, um, you know, someone that that's, you know, volunteering to, at, a at a charitable organization through to Alan Doyle, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the thing that, that I'm genuinely in awe of these people. I'm genuinely fascinated by them. Um, Maritimers are not good at a asking for help, and they're also not good at um, they're also not good at uh, at showing off what they do. They're very humble, which is mm-hmm. a wonderful wonderful trait to have. But there needs to be you know, no one wants everyone here to be uh, as arrogant as all of Toronto. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but, you know. Any Toronto listeners, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's James Mullen. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 Londoners, I should go with. <laughs> London, people are English people. No one wants, no one wants, no one wants, I mean, because at the end of the day, this is why it's quite a funny thing that, you know, people are always saying, you know, we need to give children more self-esteem. Well, yes, we do. But at the same time, you know who has lots of self-esteem? Donald Trump has. So, mm, so you know, very uh, true. being humble and, and modest is a wonderful trait and again i mean i often wish that i wasn't kind of riddled with insecurities and self-loathing but equally mm-hmm. i would rather be up half the night with a little voice in my head reminding me of all the stupid things i've ever done and the embarrassing things i've ever done than the opposite and be someone who walks through life not worrying about that because i've met those people right. and they are dicks so mm-hmm. um oh, you know yeah, 100%. Uh, that's um and then i think the other thing um to answer your question about um I guess one of the things that I'm constant, and again, this isn't necessarily top of mind when I am writing to people, and this is taking it to a very dark extreme, but we are all aware of of the of the um, the statistic or the the thing that is often talked about when it comes to mental health about the the well timed phone call, you know, the mm. the the person who is, um, and again, this isn't necessarily the case when I'm when I'm interviewing someone, but it is when I'm writing to someone or dropping something off or or whatever else you know we're all aware of the when someone is at their lowest ebb and their darkest time um mm. the well time phone call where yeah. basically for want of a better phrase you know when quite literally that is the thing that brings someone off off a ledge you know we're all right. you know and we and we've oh you know any one of us that has struggled with uh with things knows those moments when um mm-hmm someone suddenly said something or did something that took you from here uh, to here, you know, right. and, uh, and, and that's something that we, we, we can all do. Absolutely. And it, it's funny because, you know, I think when you're talking about being, um, you know, more, not, not quite as humble, uh, you know, still keeping yourself humble, but advocating for yourself, being a self-advocate. This is something that you've talked about as well, yeah. um, that you did from a young age. And so I kind of want to, you know, backtrack a little bit in your life. Huh. Um, and talk about when this self-advocacy became a thing, because as, as many people who have mental health issues, um, you know, childhood's a tough thing because you're not necessarily taught what you're going through. You have to try to figure it out all yourself. Um, so I, I'm curious, like, you know, when you talk about self-advocacy, what does that mean and how did comedy play a role in that for you? 
Excellent question. Um, I guess it's it's an interesting one because to to do stand up, you obviously need there needs obviously needs to have an, there needs to be an aspect of confidence, obviously ego, um, mm-hmm. and it's a very weird job to do f- for people with confidence issues and self esteem issues and 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 self loathing all the rest of it. Yet almost everyone that does comedy has all of those things. You know, there's a handful mm-hmm. of comedians in the world that I would imagine don't have confidence issues. Um, mm-hmm. Dane Cook possibly being the only one. <laughs> um, right. Uh, you know, um, and, and, and I think the thing is, I mean, the important thing, I guess, the important thing to note about stand-up is that, of course, it isn't, uh, it, it, it's a confidence trick is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very much a confidence trick. You are teaching yourself to act on on stage like being up there is the most normal, natural thing in the world. Um Meanwhile, it's not. And of course, while we're up there, we're trying to act very common confident, but we're constantly spinning 30 different plates. You know, do I do I address this, the, what this person just said? Or do I come back to this idea? All those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do need them. But and certainly, I mean, when I was growing up, no, I wasn't the class clown. I wasn't the person that anyone would have imagined would have ended up doing this job. I wasn't Right. I mean, I, I didn't really have much going from school. I wasn't academic, I wasn't athletic, and I certainly wasn't uh, confident. I was kind of the triple bill of failure for my parents, if you will. <laughs> it's good to have the full set going on. Normally, if you're if your child... A real well-rounded, Yeah, well-rounded, exactly. Normally, if your child is not is failing everything in class, you can at least you know take some solace in the fact that they may be quite good on the football field or have a lot of friends. Right, right. I was none of them. And... Um, yeah, and um, and I was, you know, shy to even speak to someone in, in, in my class. And again, I mean, I and I still have that to an extent in real life. I mean, a, a therapist did actually once explain this to me. I was, I, was, I was kind of trying to ask why it was that I would, for example, if my wife in normal times, um, we have to keep saying that, in normal times, if my wife would say to me, we're going to a dinner party with people mm. I didn't know, I would get extremely anxious about it mm. and almost kind of start picking a fight so I could kind of go, well, fuck you, I'm not going to your dinner party, right? Right, but Just right. so I could kind of get out of it. It's a little self-sabotaging. Yeah, and yeah, if I had a gig that night to 500 people, I mean, yes, I would be, um, if nervous is the word, but I would always be focused on it. I don't know if nervous necessarily, but, 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 but I would be kind of looking forward to the gig, but a dinner party with 12 people would make me terrified. And a the therapist once explained it as, uh, the, it's all about, in a stand-up show, you're in control. You know where you're going. You know, uh, you know what you're doing. You know where you're headed. You, you, you have. Uh, it's it's a well worn path for you. You've done this. Right. Um, in a dinner party, you have absolutely no control over the conversation, where it's going, what's going to happen, uh, and that terrifies you. And and that and that is abs- that's all great therapy does. That was absolutely bang on the money. It was absolutely spot on. Um, <clears throat> So stand up for, for me, like I, I'm a great believer that anyone can do stand up, and this is a, and I know this mm-hmm. for a fact because of the simple fact that I do it. Anyone can learn it in the same way anyone can learn. To me, I don't think I could ever learn uh, uh, b- b- doing. I can't even know that what the right term is, but mechan- I could never be. I could never do mechanic work. I could. I can't mm-hmm. imagine when I look at my father-in-law work on a car. I'm like in awe of the of the genius of that. Right. I I cannot imagine. But I also think that yes, probably if I went to school for three years to study it, maybe I would get the hang of it. Mm-hmm. Similarly with stand-up, I believe that anyone, if they are willing to go through the indignity of, and that's the weirdest thing about st- stand-up is that it's generally a people get attracted to the job are people often with uh you know insecurity issues but 
Mm-hmm. We choose this this profession or this this art form that involves us failing on stage in front of people over and over and over again, um, and and the insecurity never goes. But what? But you do start to learn the craft of doing it, and of course you need to then have some, um, you know, self confidence to be able to uh, promote yourself and push yourself. Um, yeah. And and certainly living here where you, know, you don't have a, a publicist or a, a, a PR doing all the work and you have to right. have the have the muster up the confidence to write to people and say, would you like to cover this thing that I'm doing, um, which is, is daunting and all the rest of it. But um, but you almost mm-hmm. have to pursue. And I mean, certainly stand up has, has definitely helped me um, cope with things in the, you know, obviously it's the it's the greatest pleasure in the world to, to be able to go up and make people laugh and make a room full of people laugh and it's a great buzz mm-hmm. and of course you know there's no denying that the, the, the huge amount of ego and arrogance goes into that concept of wanting a room full of people to to to, to laugh at your jokes and mm-hmm. and uh the fact that you're willing to go through hell to get to the point that you are doing that um but I think it, it's so the honest answer is that those those things that you mentioned are very hard. They are difficult to reconcile. And, and, and it is a, something that I, I don't have the answers to in terms of, you know, reconciling the the and, and I mean, it's a weird moment quite often. But when I'm building up to a show and I'm about to go on stage or the day, there, there is a process for me to get into the stage mindset and. Mm-hmm. I don't get nervous about the gigs now, unless I'm testing brand brand new material. But when I've honed that material, I'm like, I, and I'm on a tour, and I'm doing night after night and after night in a theatre, same show uh, every night. Um, my the thing I'm nervous about is always that I know that most every night I walk out on stage and something a switch clicks and I go into mm. stage mode. It's something about the right. sound of the audience, um, and I'm very superstitious about things. Um, people say to me, you know, what are your pre-show rituals? And I'm like, well, mm. uh, yeah, I'm twisting the top of a water bottle and then, and then touching the, the, the cup. I don't know if there's a, there's a scene actually yeah, in, yeah, in, yeah. in the city on fire, a CBC documentary where I'm about to play conversation the first time. And I'm, you'll see me, I'm there like touching them. Normally, you know, mm. like it used to be a, uh, a light switch, but now it's like a, the top of a water bottle. That's so funny you say that because I've got uh, one of my, my OCD things is I'm very tactile. I always have to be playing with stuff. Right. And so whenever I do interviews, um, I always am either I've either got a pen under the table or I, I've got ripped jeans on right now and I'm playing with the right. rips, like the fray of the ribs. <laughs> right. And so I, to- I totally understand. Yeah. yeah. And it's weird because it's that thing where I'll be in that moment that, that I didn't know they were capturing where I'm filling with the bottle top. It's that weird thing when I'm like, okay, well, that's that I've done. I've done my final tap. I can go. And then I'm at the, mm-hmm. and then the, the host is up there. about to introduce me, introduce me. And so I'm about to get into mode. And then of course the voice says, you, you, you know, you, you need to touch it on that side of your, of, of, of the nail. Yeah. yeah and then you're yeah, like, yeah. well, I've, 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 there's 5,000 people there waiting to see me. And the voice is like, well, it'd be shame if you, if, if they booed you <laughs> off like really you, you right. can't just go back and just touch you can't just do that 
one is mm-hmm. it really and this could be ridiculous you this could just be a made-up voice but is it I, really worth always ridiculous yes, always, yeah. but the voice is saying is it really worth ri- r- risking being booed off stage in front of all those cameras and find that you've got to live in this city you've got to live here uh, and, and, right, and then everyone's right. gonna know you got booed off just because you couldn't i'm like oh, okay and i run back and touch fine i'll do it i'll do it <laughs> yeah. it's oh that that is that is probably the most relatable thing i've ever heard from a from a guest i've had on this podcast because that is so true in my own life in the in the smallest things it's you know oh you, you i think you forgot to say i love you to your parents this morning yeah. well see you later never gonna see them again yeah, yeah. and you're like what that, I know. all right i guess i'll i guess i'll make a phone call it, it, it is the craziest thing and i've had it for as long as I can remember, I mean, certainly since the age of 11. So, you know, mm. 31 years. And what's hilarious about it is that occasionally you will not put on the sock that way or not put on the odd socks right. like the voice is telling yeah. you on. Or occasionally you will not do the third or fourth or 50th tap or finger mm. roll across the, the, the surface or the brick or whatever it is, right? And nothing happens. But... Mm-hmm. And again, this is a dark, but sometime in our lives, you or I, Carl, at some point, something is going to happen. Five years, ten years, where we're not going to do it. And that day, something terrible is going to happen. And our first thought is not going to be, oh, no, uh, my whole family burned to the ground. And we're going to go, I knew it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've been telling you guys for years. It is all because I didn't touch the... Yeah. um, So... I'm I'm just trying to remember if I answered the question or not. No, and, and if you don't mind me hopping in here real quick, it's funny because I was just kind of thinking that I think a lot of that comes from the fact that when you're dealing with mental health issues, you're drawn so much into your head that it's kind of like you really do start to believe that you are in control of the universe. Yes. And that is a very scary thing to believe that okay well now that since i am so living in my head this is the only thing that i can really perceive so now okay if my brain's telling me hey you've got to play with the business card here for a while while you're talking or something terrible is going to happen you're thinking well i live in my head 99 percent of the time so that must be that must be true so it's very interesting that's exactly it and it and it's it's the it's the weird thing where when i'm about to walk out on stage i'm not worried about the the material or anything else what i'm worried about is what if the switch doesn't mm-hmm. flick. The the, to, the the switch where I turn from from this into stage me, um, yeah. And and by that I mean a person who isn't scared of talking to one or ten or five thousand people. What if the right. switch? Is, and so the fear is, what if this loser ends up on that stage? And I'm like, oh, hi. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and I don't go into and it's very well, and it's why I'm also very particular about my walk on music because there's there's a walk on mm. track that gets me. And, and sometimes when I'm having a bad time or I've been or, or even if I've had bad, a couple of if I've had a bad gig and the next day I'm thinking mm. I'm, I'm, I don't know why I've finally the world's caught, caught cottoned onto me. I'm a fraud. I'm not right. a comedian. I can't remember if I thought I was. And I need to get myself geared up for that night. And I'll have to sit and I'll be sitting in my hotel and w- watching other stand up videos of, of previous shows going, well, that went well. Maybe I and I basically need to. Mm-hmm. So my nerves is always, what if, and, and every night, it's fine, I walk out, something switch, I go into this mode, and mm-hmm. it's why I often tape record shows, and I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to be obviously on a, a tour right now, um, to, uh, and I'm, I'm listening to audio from, luckily in September, I was able to do some shows at Punchlines Comedy Club in St. John, 
And again, I went out there with 40 minutes of material and came off stage now and 20 minutes later. And and then I listened to the audio and I'm like, stuff's coming out of my mouth that I don't remember thinking, don't remember saying, yep. don't remember the moment. And I don't know where that stuff comes from. So it's almost like... A... James, it is it is actually incredible hearing you say all this kind of stuff because it is. It's so true. I'll, I'll stop recording podcasts sometimes and, and I take a few steps back and I'm like... Oh my god! I don't remember asking anything. Right, <laughs> like, right. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's funny. Yeah, it's like it, it's like an hour conversation can end, and you'll be like, "What did we talk about?" But but yeah, it's um, did I say and, yeah. yeah, and then it, it, I know, and then um, it is it is funny you talked about that switch because I've noticed that um, lately, and this is you know I think a credit to coming home. This is a credit to focusing on my mental health, um, but. I, I don't really have the mental fog anymore, which was something that I very much felt was holding me back in life. So um, and I've, and I've felt, yeah. And I felt very sharp and, and, um, you know, I love talking to people. It's one of the truest joys of my life. Um, and so I always get, you know, I always would get worried about, I'm not going to get the most out of this. Right. Um, and I think even today, today I've got this interview and then I've got an interview in about an hour. Nice. And so I've got two interviews today and I was really worried about not feeling that sharpness because I spent so long not feeling that, that excitement, that sharp, that, okay, always thinking that I was like, okay, I've got to make sure that I've got my, I have to have my coffee. I have to make sure I read my book. I have to exercise. I have to do all Mm. these things, this list of things so that I'll, yep. So that I'll put myself in this best position to be that sharpness that I've grown to love so much. That's it. So yeah, it's all those boxes you need to tick to get into the get into the groove and it's weird how um how anxious you can get about doing things that you've done a million times and yeah. um but yeah. and it's 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 interesting because part of you part of the reason why we can do what we do to any level to any kind of level of of of, of success is because mm-hmm. we do you, you you it's because we care like and mm-hmm. and again, there's obviously instances where um, the, the anxiousness becomes a, a negative thing. But at the same time, I am glad that I care. I'm glad that I worry. I'm glad that uh, I wake up stressed about the things I have to do. Because back mm. when I was, you know, at, at uh, you know at university and happy to wake up and sit and watch daytime TV and smoke bongs all day and <laughs> and not stress about what I was going to do in my life. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I know that the, all of the things that consume me now uh, and make me anxious are the things that make me productive. Now, there are times that I wish mm-hmm. I could uh, relax a bit and take some downtime, but equally, Absolutely. I know that the, that the racing around the, the place, trying to do all these things in a day, are are what what keeps me sane essentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, i've got two more questions for okay, you james lovely. if you've if you've got the time yeah. um and this has been I, I really do want to thank you because this has been absolutely incredible from the from the time i saw your stand-up i was very much looking forward to hopefully you know getting you uh, on a call so it's, thank no, you it, truly well, it's so kind and I, I will just say thank you so much for for, for doing this and I've, I've as i say I've, I've listened to many of your podcasts love what you do um and thank and thank you for doing this for the community thank you for doing it for yourself as well because i, I was so happy to hear mm-hmm. that it's been cathartic for you but it's been yeah big time. very cathartic for for me today and uh you are now your face is now something i associate with feeling good uh, about uh, the, the world and life so so thank you i appreciate yeah, that so. that really means a lot thank you um so i guess the uh the you know question that i like to end off on for any guests that i have um is 
I like to give it a challenge to my listeners, something that they can implement into their, their day or their week, their month or the rest of their life. Um, something that you have learned through your lived experience um, that has made your life better. Uh, and I would love to know if you were going to put forth a challenge for the people who are going to listen to this podcast, what it would be. Excellent question. I love being challenged and asked things on the spot like this. And I will say it goes back to something we were talking about. So a bit of a callback. I would make uh, give everyone the challenge to tell 10 people. Not doesn't don't tell don't tell your kids that you love them because I'm hoping if you if you <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, if if you are a fan of Kyle's work, I would assume you are the kind of person that already tells those around you that you love them. I also don't always think it's right when people um I mean I I like doing that pay it forward thing. I like it when I'm in the Tim's mm-hmm. drive through I'll pay for the person's. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. then I also do always think it's wrong when uh, again people are hashtagging tweeting telling people what to do telling people that they need to be uh, spending money when people might not have that money to spend uh, mm-hmm. but the one thing that we can all do is tell 10 strangers that we like something that they're doing and that could be uh, writing to um you know um, so you know sonia at starbucks's boss to tell her it could be mm-hmm. telling julia at cineplex's boss or it could be telling julia herself it could be telling uh you know the the friendly people that you're seeing every day at, at so superstore or sobiz or at second carp mm-hmm. or or the lovely people at indigo tell them what tell tell them something that you love don't it doesn't don't nothing generic just like it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be you know i mean do whatever you want but my challenge would be mm-hmm. uh find something specific to sell tell someone that you're enjoying about what they're doing it could even be mm-hmm. uh an artist whose painting you've seen in your dental surgery and you see that painting all the time and you think you know i couldn't necessarily buy that painting but i uh, mm-hmm. would like to you can see the artist's name um you know, write to them, uh, pick an independent business. That, that's literally what gets me through every day and and, mm-hmm. and basically keeps the, 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 the demons and the darkness at bay is always just telling people uh, something that they're doing that is great. And uh, it's that's good amazing. for them and it's good for you. And and also you have no idea that you might be it might be the uh, the proverbial well-timed uh, uh, phone call that that person needs today. And think about yeah. the good things that that person's also then going to do and how great they're going to feel. Just kind of passing that yeah, along. Yeah, exactly. Pay it forward yeah. without having to pay anything. I love that. That's great. Um, James, the last question I have uh, to ask is how can people um, interact with you, your brand? Um, how can they follow the incredible work that you oh, do? Well, that's very kind. Um, pretty much everywhere. And some people would say I'm uh, too too much all over social media, but I have a <laughs> I have a Facebook page, which is just uh, facebook.com slash James Manager Comedian, a, a YouTube channel, which I'm using a lot more now. Uh, thanks to the pandemic and producing lots of new, of new content, I would implore people. That's James Mullinger, comedian as well, I think. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter just under my name, James Mullinger. It's one of the beauties of having a ridiculous uh, surname that no one can pronounce or spell. Um, <laughs> yeah, Kyle Moore was a tough one. That was everywhere. Yeah, you must have uh, Kyle Moore, one, two, three, A, B, yeah, exactly. uh, uh, uppercase, <laughs> lowercase, exclamation mark. A couple underscores in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whereas I, I, I have uh, I have James Bollinger at hotmail.com James Bollinger at gmail.com got all of them <laughs> um, that's perfect so, um, and yeah and, and, and I would say to anyone um, reach out I mean one of the things that again I, I try to pride myself on is, is anyone that writes to me I, I reply to uh, anyone I can help I will um, I like to make myself 
uh, available and reachable and um, I always like a chat so and if you see me in Sobeys uh, come and say hi uh, these and it's one of those things these eyebrows under a mask are very easy <laughs> yeah. to uh, express yeah exactly yeah I'd say between the between the both of us we probably have a couple kilometers worth yes, of eyebrows yes we do we both we, we basically when, when we are allowed to do such things again me and you need to dress up as the Gallagher brothers <laughs> done done and done we've got it I love it. yeah <laughs> that's fantastic james yeah i'll definitely you know you have to come back on the podcast because this has been uh this has been an absolute blast and uh and yeah best of luck with everything and and just uh keep doing what you're doing because it's it is incredible and and being an advocate for the people and the provinces of the east coast it's uh it's amazing so thank you no, that's very kind thank you and actually the other thing i would uh, implore people to do is also check out the maritime edit youtube channel we're producing films uh following entrepreneurs who've actually left uh other parts of the world and moved here uh to atlantic canada to to set up shop and we're trying to highlight all of these amazing uh, men and women who've moved here from uh, from Syria, uh, from Toronto, from the UK. And uh, we want to highlight those people. So uh, check me out there. But Carl, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for um, thank you for getting in touch with me. And thank you for the extremely thoughtful uh, questions and for uh, being, um, you know, uh, for cheering me up today. I appreciate it. Great start to the season, right? Yeah, man. I got to give credit where credit's due. Are you giving me props? credit to James Mullinger for just just being the best, man? Like, yeah. I just know working with you, eh? You know, the funny thing is, we, we really really don't have a choice, even after all these years. It's kind of you and I are just one and the same. Just great. Yeah. Okay. That is that is pretty funny. Not not as funny as James, though. Dude. I mean, that okay. Kind of, like, relax. We get it. Um, what did you think of the episode? I you usually have some surprisingly good takes about about episodes as a whole okay surprisingly saying that um you know su- surprisingly have good takes is a bit it's a bit hurtful but we'll uh um i don't know man uh to be honest like just having men talking about mental health in this kind of setting it, it's really cool you know it's light it's fun like i could imagine us all sitting around crushing some beers and having that same chat you know, and, and to me, that's the best part. See, like, dude, I got, I got to give you credit. Like, I mean, you're a dick, right? Okay, established. Bro, but when it bro, comes to guests, fuck? like, very much on the same wave, which is, which is dope. Um, guys, huge shout out to James for being on the podcast, kicking off another season of Life's Wreck. Make sure to check him out on Instagram at James Mullinger, where you can find all of his incredible content. And uh, yeah, while you're on there, check us out too. Lots of big things coming this season. Uh, new merch, YouTube channel. Um, new look to some content just just a bunch of things so so make sure to follow along with that we're really excited to continue to connect with you guys um it's been one of the truest joys of this entire process to talk with you guys about mental health and have you guys feel comfortable to reach out and and it's just amazing so for that i I really i guess we both really want to say thank you guys thanks for taking the time today to spend with me of course and and unfortunately also him uh come on keep talking about your mental health you losers i don't want to see i don't want to see you guys end up like this guy you know, talking to himself in his bedroom at his parents' house, you know, just sad. Oh God. Yeah. No, don't, don't do that. That's uh, yeah. Not, not the path. I see much better things in your guys' futures. That's, that's for sure. What? Life's a wreck, guys. See you in two weeks.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.